Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Dor Sasson. He's the co-founder and CEO at Stig. Dor, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I actually really think what you guys are doing at Stig is, is really innovative and cool. And I kind of wish I would have known about it, you know, a while ago when I was working on some stuff, because <laughs> I think what you guys are doing solves like a real pain point that I think unless you've been through it, you probably don't realize how much of a big pain point you guys are actually solving for, for a lot of people and companies. But maybe before we get into all that, let's get to know you a little bit better and uh, start off with where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in a small uh, village or town, basically right next to the center of Israel. Um, uh, what was unique about the way I grew up is um, it was at least until I was uh, almost 10, I grew up in an Air Force base. Um, okay. My dad, yeah, my dad used to be um, like in the, in the Israeli IDF, in the military, in the Air Force. And um, as part of that, some of the families um, for, you know, um, reasons of, you know, having a better quality of life, they live right next to the base. So it was kind of like particular in, in, a, in a good way, um, because I know it's kind of sound odd, but... Uh, living right inside the base is kind of cool. You get to play hide and seek next to F-16s and f <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty like, cool. A, yeah, as a kid, it's like super cool because you get to do all this crazy stuff inside a base and sometimes you can break the rules and such. But yeah, it was it was a good childhood, I guess, overall. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, sorry. No, keep going. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, at some point we moved around. Um, my my, you know, growing up was pretty, you know, pretty like pretty normal childhood. Um, you know, I went to school. I studied uh, computer science and and chemistry. Um, then I, you know, got on the age of eighteen. Typically, most of the folks in Israel have to go to the military. It's like a mandatory service. I've joined the military for a few years. Um, I've served as an officer. Then I. Uh, got out of duty and, you know, got into uh, 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 product management. Um, but yeah, I'll probably elaborate more on that in a second. <laughs> sure. So I just want to step back on this. what, like, why, what got you passionate about taking what you took in university? So um, I studied, so interestingly, I started actually working uh, even before I started my first degree. I studied um, um like a mixture of like um, uh, political science with um, um, like my my BA is like political science and um, a little bit of business school. Okay. Um, but um, I got into product management, into building in general, uh, a little bit before that. So throughout my military service, I served in, uh, in the intelligence unit where I was uh, doing a lot of similar stuff to product managers outside of the, you know, the military world. And uh, I was working with developers. I was working with uh, similar environments that you see in every other company. 
And uh, I began to be more and more passionate about, um, you know, data, data analysis, working, you know, as a product person with developers. And, you know, this is probably was my main hook into this space. Um, and, you know, funny enough, like the, what I studied wasn't necessarily tied to that. I just studied because um, <laughs> it's funny. My parents are like the typical classical, you know, um, you know, stereotype Jewish parents pushing you to study something. So I found myself, um, you know, going to study something just to get them, you know, happy about what I'm, what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> but, Fair enough. Yeah. But I was already, you know, kind of passionate and happy about working, you know, and building new products, trying different stuff in software, um, you know, doing UX stuff, doing, you know, product management in general. And my first gig was, uh, I joined an early stage startup right after the army. Um, we were a small early stage fintech company trying to solve um, a specific problem that used to be exciting at that time, which was how can you uh, basically purchase um, uh, things online together. Um, that was our main focus or our main goal. Uh, stuff like from, you know, tickets to concerts all the way to, um, you know, food and, you know, groceries and, you know, travel tickets and, you know, snowboarding tickets, all those type of, uh, type of things. Like, how can you do that together um, as a group in a seamless way? Um, the, it didn't, you know, it didn't skyrocket. We didn't, we, you know, we weren't as successful as we were hoping, but we've learned a lot about, you know, the do's and don'ts of, you know, building software in, a, in an early stage environment. Sure. Um, I, yeah. I, we should maybe come back to some of those do's and don'ts later. I'm curious throughout your, your career, but we, we can cover that later. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and um, basically that was my first product role. Um, I've uh, found myself, you know, kind of, continuing my my path in that space i've joined another startup company named uh, signify uh, that was more lean towards the b2b world um you know developer space where uh, ai and like developer ai machine learning space we were basically building software that helped developers uh, deal with production incidents and production alerts in a much more efficient way um and you know we had a huge um uh, like um, ai machine learning engine that helped uh you know consume a bunch of alerts and you know do a lot of uh, statistical analysis and you know intelligent um um ways to um reduce and correlate and aggregate alerts into a single uh element a single issue that you can deal with uh, that was like um very exciting path for me because it was the first steps into the AI and machine learning world and you know using data science and statistical analysis as a vehicle to create value for you know users uh, we were acquired by new relic in 2019 uh, new relic is like a huge software company helping developers everywhere uh, in terms of like you know building observability tools and ways to you know monitor production environments and such and uh, that was, you know, that was my main product gig before I, you know, co-founded Stig uh, with Anton, who used to work with me together at the Neuralic uh, journey. Um, yeah, I'm happy to kind of share more into each and every, you know, step of the way and, you know, kind of, you know, share some insights or, you know, gems that, you know, brought me to where we are, but ultimately... I think that what got me hooked into product in general is the 
is the fact that I'm somewhat of a generalist. Uh, I like to look on things um, in a broader way and see the intersection of different uh, variables and see how they influence on, on one another. And, you know, doing product gives you that so sense of like, like naturally be right there in the middle of everything and, you know, be able to facilitate and listen and um, basically, you know, um, make all these things work together in a way. So uh, I, I guess that's my, you know, main reason why a product has always been my passion. Interesting. No, okay. So I, I'm curious, I, I think a lot of people probably listening have heard and or have or are using New Relic because it's a pretty big, well-known company and I've used it a ton in my career and I actually think the product's great. It, it Maybe it's, and it's costly, but I think it's, it's worth it. Um, I'm curious though, so how did you and Andrew come up with the idea for Stig and, and what exactly is it? And then what made the both of you actually pursue it? Because you're at a well-known company, right? Yeah, and it's Anton. So Oh, Anton, way, sorry. Yeah, no, it's, so uh, the first, you know, uh, let's call it like, you know, significant moment in, you know, that made us, you know, build Stig was um, other second time, a uh, second year at New Relic. Um, you know, COVID, uh, you know, that was, right. you know, yeah, that was basically COVID, uh, situation in the world. And there was a lot of changes going on, going down with New Relic and, and the entire, you know, software SaaS, you know, industry. And, uh, as part of that, you know, we had a new CEO coming in and basically saying, Hey, you know, Hey team, you know, as a company, we're we're going to double down on product-led growth and usage-based pricing uh, to continue to grow our business and our company. And Neuralink naturally has been somewhat product-led from the get-go because it was for developers, by developers for, from the get-go. But um, as it grew its business uh, and become more and more popular with enterprise, um, it's somewhat... Um, left out this, you know, this edge of being there for developers and thinking about the individual users and how, you know, we can unlock value for them. And uh, so this, yeah, so this specific, you know, CEO was extremely, you know, passionate about, you know, bringing, you know, some of that edge back to New Relic. And um, I've basically, so coming back to again, to Stig and how that unfolds. So, um, we had a like a hackathon throughout the you know main outburst of the COVID. It was like February 2020. Um, everyone were like a lot of open-ended questions and uncertainty around what's going to happen. You know, moving to work remote and such. And you know, one of our uh, R&D leadership took a decision to use this time for like a uh, like a quick hackathon for the team to kind of think about um, you know stuff that are not necessarily on the roadmap. And, you know, I partnered with another developer and together we've uh, basically hacked uh, in, a, in a single week something that today I think is somewhat um, identified on its own category, like something that people nowadays call like PLG CRM. Okay. Um, at the time, as a product manager, I was kind of frustrated that there's a discrepancy between the way us product and R&D and designers understand users, users' needs, users, usage, usage patterns, behaviors, and et cetera, and how the field, like sales, CS, and such, how they see stuff and, you know, the signals that they are getting. And this discrepancy made 
um, you know, our life in one hand a little bit difficult to build the right things and their life a little bit difficult to sell the right things. And so we use this hackathon week to basically build something we call the Enlightenment Park. It was like a, you know, super quick and dirty application on top of New Relic data that, you know, you could insert like a customer ID or a name or an account and basically get like really cool uh, insights into how you're using New Relic. Um, and my point was to do those insights so stupid simple that, you know, anyone that, you know, even if you're like reluctant or like, you know, you're not a statistical kind of person, you, you don't like to, you know, uh, go into the weeds and the deepness of, you know, charts and tables and such, you can just literally just go in and like, oh, so this is what they value and this is what they're using and this is how they're using and like give like real quick scoring and, pro you know, ways to prioritize certain users within an account and such. Now, today there's like off the shelf, amazing products out there that are doing that. But at the time there wasn't. And this was like the first kind of like a milestone, if you will, that made me realize, hey, there's something there. Because uh, when we launched it internally, people got like extremely hooked, like all, this, you know, sales folks, CS folks, folks that we kind of distributed this tool around from, you know, one to another. It's like, it wasn't production grade, uh, but people got super excited and like really liked this. And we began to get like feature requests and, you know, people like, oh, can we, can you add this, you know, thing and can you change that? And we realized there's a huge potential to, to this kind of tooling. And it was that moment I began to explore, like, what is out there? Like, is there any off the shelf stuff? And it was then when I, you know, kind of, uh, started to educate myself more into the product-led, you know, uh, point of view and, you know, how people think about product-led in general in B2B. And, um, yeah, that was like the first, you know, major story around how we came up uh, with STIG. Um, STIG is not a PLG CRM, so I know how this, you know, the story ends not exactly with like a exclamation point, but uh this is basically was like how we started to research and you know go into the weeds of what's working and what's not in a product-led motion um and you know specifically into what stig does so i don't know kevin if you want me to kind of take a step back and explain what stig does and then yeah sure kind of tie to, the, to knots or yeah sure yeah okay so um in a natural state, we like to call it like a headless, uh, headless pricing um, platform where we give uh, engineers and developers um, in all size of, you know, in companies in all size and all stages, the ability to quickly uh, launch any type of pricing model GTM motion um, uh, for their company, whether it's like usage base, subscription, uh, per seat, per unit, like all type of ways to price and package your product. You can do that with stick with, you know, literally like a day of work, if not less, depends on how complex you want to go. And we approach pricing in general from the eyes of builders, developers, product designers, and, you know, not necessarily from the way it used to be approached by RevOps teams, GTM teams and such. And basically we, we try to help companies to be nimble in the way they package and sell their software. Um, and so the way we do that is like, this is an API first platform. Everything is accessible throughout an API or SDK. Um, we give you uh, everything from, you know, the ability to, you know, gauge access control to specific features, build feature limits, uh, 
manage and you know um, run changes into plan you know pl pricing plan structure and all the way to even you know like embeddable widgets and UI that is ready to go that you can customize and just snap in, drop it inside your application and go live. Um, so you basically get an end-to-end off-the-shelf pricing experience. Um, that's like STIG in a, in a nutshell. Um, and that's on the application side. Uh, we also hook STIG into um, um, business applications such as CRM, uh, billing, data pipelines and such. So ultimately, Stig is like the glue between your product, your software, and your, you know, GTM stack. And uh, so that's like in a nutshell what Stig is and how does that ties into my story about the Enlightenment Park and the PRG application is. Um, so, you know, Bill Staples, new CEO, came in and says we're doubling down on usage-based pricing um, and, you know, product-led growth. And the first thing we had to do is figure out as a company, well, how do we go usage-based pricing? Like, how do we change our entire pricing model? Um, and how do we make it work? And it was like a cross-company effort to uh, allow that, um, you know, um, initiative. Uh, almost a year of an effort, or, you know, R&D, sales, product design, everyone had to be involved. And that basically gave us the, you know, first, you know, thing, thing, thing. There is there is a huge problem here that is not solved. And it cannot be this way that the only way to be nimble and make pricing changes is so painful. Like even at the scale of um, even like a cutting edge company such as Neuralic, you know, having to, you know, spend so much time and effort into running such a change is something that we began to be passionate about how we can solve otherwise. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. So like, I think what you outlined makes sense, but do you maybe want to give, and you don't have to give like actual customer names away, but can you give us some use cases of how some of your customers have actually implemented STIG just so people fully understand? Yeah, sure. So we work, uh, as of today, we work with, um, um, most of our customer base is, uh, to A to sometimes B round companies, okay. um, B2B SaaS that have uh, the, the main use case they're looking to solve is launching uh, self-service or launching uh, a, a new pricing model. Um, and basically the way they use it is we give them uh, an SDK. We have both client and server SDK. They can integrate it to their code base. Uh, in one hand, they can integrate it with Stripe or any other billing solution on the other side of the road. And basically, they get a UI where they can build plans, manage features, manage limits, uh, run changes, run A-B tests, um, and everything that they do inside the SIG application uh, immediately replicates and permeates to all the knobs that I mentioned. Um, they also use SIG to... Um, launch stuff like an in-app customer portal where customers can, you know, expand their usage and buy more seats, buy more credits, buy more um, any such of element that can be, uh, you know, purchased, you know, within, you know, in a self-service manner. And also the paywalls, basically paywalls everywhere. So whether it's like paywalls inside the application or paywalls on your pricing page, 
uh, you can go in and you know see you know basically see pricing tables and information about pricing that is completely fetched from Stig from our API. Um, so so yeah, and you asked about specific customer names, so you can check our website. We have specifically customers that we've mentioned there that we list there. We also um, are now launching a bunch of uh, ROI case studies and like how customers are seeing Stig and what the value that we're seeing. But the main three benefits or you know things that we've made the most impact at is one uh, time to launch like literally you know being so much faster in launching new pricing running pricing changes um, and you know being nimble and fast to market um, is something that uh, companies care about uh, the second thing is reducing engineering um, you know work required to do those things so uh, instead of having to have dedicated teams, uh, maintaining and building that internally, you can just use Stig off the shelf and you can customize it. And, you know, with no code, you can just embed it and, and go, go, go. Uh, so that reduces a lot of engineering effort. Um, and last but not least, ultimately what we do for you is because you launch faster and because you reduce a lot of engineering work required to support those changes, uh, we give a lot of, you know, new ways to uh, get information about how um, existing and new customers are using your pricing, like using your product and in the lenses of pricing plans and feature limits, et cetera. So you basically get more data points and visibility into those usage patterns and you can make better informed decisions going forward on what should you change if you should change anything about your pricing. So that way we basically take uh, pricing and uh, change the conversation from uh, like uh, a political thing, something that is like full of opinions. You know, a lot of the folks that we work with used to see pricing as something that you you research competition a little bit and you try to match it or like do something a little bit different to a, you know, a science, something that you uh, approach like a product um, uh, craft that you need to think about the way you represent information about pricing to your customers, way that you uh, represent value, uh, ways that you help customers consume your product and use your product and buy it, and ultimately, you know, better buying experience overall. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's actually really cool, right? Because the reality is, is you're right. It's usually an argument. It usually flip-flop so many times and you need obviously like dev and designer and um time as well to actually implement some some of these changes and sometimes it's you know a few hours to you know a few weeks to maybe even a month depending on how complex your pricing structure is set up right and being able to just tweak that or change that and test that and get data on it based on stig then there's no it really cuts down those discussions and those arguments, right? Yeah, and also it's kind of like, so you, so Kevin, you've mentioned that you're coming from the UX and product design and product in general world. So you know this better than I do that before we had tools like Figma or Webflow, yeah. right? Like every every change or every creation that you wanted to do, especially in web development, by the way, that, you know, the world has done such a tremendous evolution there, right? Like uh, yeah. tools like, yeah, Webflow and CMS, like Contentful and such. So you know how before these tools, every time you wanted to change something in your website, right? Like text, 
colors, you know, branding, video, like content media, all these things you had to put, um, you know, your best, you know, individuals and teams to work, right? You had to get the help of designer and web developer and et cetera. And nowadays you see marketeers with zero or to far less, you know, experience in design and, um, and, you know, content creation and such clicking a few buttons inside those amazing tools. And you have a really, really, you know, uh, great websites, a really great content that is being generated. And I'm not even talking about nowadays with the generative AI uh, type of content, but what I mean by that is if you take this analogy into our space, uh, pricing used to be a nightmare. It yep. used to be like a, a, a quarter to even a full year project research. Yep. Yeah. Conversations, meetings, this, you know, you know, misalignments that has to be somewhat remediated and, you know, resolved. Um, everyone has an opinion like marketing, product, design, you know, uh, um, sales. Um, you know, everyone has something, you know, stake in the table when it comes to pricing, which is still the case. Even if you're using stick, it's still the case. It's just that the conversation around implementation reduced so much stress out of the conversation because Think about it, like why it was so stressful because everybody knew this is our chance, right? Like we're changing the price yeah. in this quarter, so we have to win, you know, the way we think it should be because it won't change at least for a year or two quarters now. And like, it's, it's not going to change again. So if you reduce, you know, if you make the implementation a click of a button, it becomes it become less of a political conversation and more around well, how do we optimize? How do we improve? Because yeah, we can do another cycle one month from now, two weeks from now and be more uh, nimble. Uh, by the way, this conversation is more, the, you know, the, the scenario as I described it is more relevant for later stages like scale and above. Um, for early stages, you know, the number one impact is literally, hey, we need to launch pricing tomorrow. Can you help? Yeah. Uh, Okay, so maybe give us a little bit more detail on that. You kind of quickly covered it, but maybe give us a little bit more detail. Like if I'm if I'm launching a startup, I don't know, in the next few weeks, say, and I need to implement pricing, walk us through that. Yeah, so um, would you, I mean, okay, I'll try to uh, to depict the picture like uh, like side by side with without stick, right? Like so. Sure, yeah, without, okay. Yeah. So without state, what do you do, right? You come up with a spreadsheet. Uh, I do see some Notion pages these days for some founders. And yeah. you, you either talk to your board, to your investors, you talk to founder friends, you research competition, or you already know the competition, or you look at similar products and you start to think, okay, what, what makes sense from, from my product, from my software, from my company? And... Um, you can go as creative as you know as as to the extent you you're you're able to, but ultimately you will most founders we talk to would have a spreadsheet that they build uh, based on something they are familiar with, like something from their world, yeah. um, and that not necessarily that like so that's like even that at that point there's already a problem there because you you don't necessarily have all the knowledge and time to start, you know, do appropriate research around pricing and willingness to pay and what exactly is the value perception of what you've built. So first thing and at first, like we, you know, we as a company stick, we create a lot of content that is easy to consume, like digest around 
pricing and how should you approach it. We we've built a community uh, that's called uh, you know uh, pricing for founders. We've brought the best pricing folks out there from the SaaS world uh, to give advice to founders. These guys and, and folks are there 24/7 or somewhat close to 24/7 and addressing questions and you know giving an advice and sometimes even jumping on calls and helping founders and builders everywhere to think about their pricing. So that's when it comes to research. Now, let's say you already know uh, what, the, what is the pricing that you want to launch. Um, Stig basically gives you a no-code UI that you can go in as a non-developer and just build your pricing plans. Now, the nice thing, once your pricing plans are inside Stig, and it can be freemium, it can be usage-based, it can be subscriptions, it can be flat fees, it can be every, any, any possible pricing model that you can think of, um, we immediately sync that into every single place you will ever integrate Stig with. Uh, we give you client SDK with a paywall, so you can just snap in, drop you know, our paywall snippet, and that's it. You have your pricing plans you know, on Webflow pages, you know, in, in React applications everywhere. And also in terms of uh, if you want to start charging and you want to connect it to a billing provider or payment processor, you can just integrate it with a click to Stripe and that's it. You can start literally charging. Now, the nice thing, we, we got everything figured out when it comes to like the way your customers are going to be uh, using you. So whether you want to introduce freemium, free trials, uh, you want some email automation around um, free trials, you want to introduce banners, you want to push customers towards one plan over the other, downgrades, upgrades, everything that you can think of uh, that is related to the customer journey, we get it accessible both via API or through our UI. So you can do either way. So ultimately what it means uh, to your question, if you want to launch pricing, you have starting a new company, you, you get everything from knowledge and expertise to think about your pricing strategy all the way to launching it. Um, um, and in, in the most um, uh, seamless way. Interesting. You, you said something there that I want to clarify. Well, not really necessarily clarify. Talk about how actually useful it is is and you can correct me if i'm wrong yes yeah. basically you said that i can add a snippet to my marketing site it, you mentioned webflow so obviously it would work with wordpress or any other kind of you know squarespace or it doesn't really matter right or if you custom built your own marketing site and then you could use the same obviously well it might be a bit different for like your, the application side whether it's react or some other language and then I would go into Stig, update my pricing. It updates on my marketing site, my web app, and anywhere else that I've actually implemented Stig, right? Whether it's the application marketing or other landing pages, for example. Um, am I correct yeah. in saying that? Yeah, you're 100% correct. And even I'll even piggyback on that and I'll say not only your uh, web pages and uh, application, but also your CRM. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah, and your billing provider, so and your data pipelines. So that means, let's say you're using your CRM is HubSpot, okay. and your sales team is on HubSpot. When they move a deal from deal, you know, from you know, let's say demo uh, or you know, contract sign to deal one, Stig knows to listen to the, to these events, 
and let salespeople basically provision the new customer, let's say it's an enterprise customer with the right setup from their, you know, from the CRM and vice versa. So that means that when you use STIG, it, it essentially means that you have like a, a central, uh, we like to see it sometimes as similar to CMS, but like you have a management uh, center that you can run anything related to your pricing and packaging uh, while keeping intact the way you're used to work and, you know, continue to evolve and, you know, you know, iterate on, you know, how you introduce value. So, uh, yeah, like you said, paywalls, web pages, CRM, billing, everything. That's um, huge. You know how much yeah. time and effort that saves? Like as somebody that's had to do it in an app, do it on marketing sites, do it on everything you outlined. Like just that alone saves people a ton of time, right? Yeah. So well, multiple I, teams even. I honestly think that sometimes uh I don't I don't you know, as you're building uh your company and the product and you know, working, you know, one one achievement after the other and like kind of building, you know, going through the journey of being an entrepreneur, I don't maybe it's just a personality thing, but I don't get to, you know, sometimes kind of lean back and say, oh my God, everything we've built is so freaking ridiculously awesome. So I don't, I don't get mm -hmm. to do that, but you know, it's only when you reflect on what we're trying to do and the problem we're trying to do and what the value we're trying to do for our customers that, or when customers reflect and, you know, mirror what they, you know, the way they see us is those tiny moments when we know that what we're building is, is, is awesome. You just said it. And I think we're still in, you know, this process of learning, like we're still keeping it curious and we're trying to see like, are we solving the right problems? Are we focusing on the right things? Are we, you know, handling the right use cases? Because there's only so much that you can build. Um, but ultimately I think our personal experience, Anton and I together at New Relic of seeing how painful it was to re-architect all those knobs and, you know, see that everything connects and everything makes sense and everything sits tight and we can, you know, help customers actually use new relic in a way that makes sense to the business you know we we said it cannot be the way to do this like we need the you know pricing is so if i if i can add to that as a product going, person yeah. yeah as a product person i just think pricing is becoming more and more a product people's problem like it used to be oh pricing talks to sales oh that's pricing talks to, talk to revenue organization talk to the gtm organization like we see more and more companies that we work with that pricing is actually becoming the problem of the cpo becoming the problem of the vp product like product executives because as you 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 know launch more and more like plg bottom up type of motions and you go to market thinking more and more about the end user Pricing ultimately become part of the experience is the way, you know, users perceive value because if you're doing free trial or freemium, or if you're limiting them to five projects or three, or if you're limiting them to, you know, everything they want, or, you know, you're giving, you're giving access to everything, or you're starting to limit some access, it's, it's product thinking. It's the iteration, the speed you need is similar to the way you develop product, right? Like you do A-B testing on whether a button should be round or square. Um, yep. you should, you should also be able to A-B test whether, you know, we should have starter plan or basic plan or professional plan and what does that entail? Interesting. No, I, I think that's, that's really cool. So uh, I'm curious, you mentioned this kind of earlier 
um, especially when you you had you were working on a product that that failed. What advice or what have you kind of learned along the way that you wish you 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 or you'd want to pass down to other people, no matter where they are in their career? So, our first experience, like my first experience um, uh, with the first early stage startup, was that we had the most amazing team, even up until yeah. today. I still believe that we had one of the best teams I've ever took part of. Like, they were individuals as they were. They were crazy good. Like, it's actually really good advice, though, because just because <laughs> you have a great team doesn't mean. Yeah. So, I'm, so yeah. now I'm about to give like the other side, the end of it. So, I as a, as a junior, I was a junior. Now I know. Now I can tell it. I was a junior at the time. I didn't realize I was a junior. But that's, but you know, retrospectively, I was a junior, and you know, I was fortunate to learn so much. We were doing really awesome stuff at the time. It was, it was 2015, I think. And we were already doing A-B testing on millions, millions of customers. We were doing so many good, you know, things on a really fast cadence. It was crazy. Um, and I learned a lot, but um, the, I think the number one thing I learned is as a team, we were too remote from the problem we were trying to solve. We didn't came in, you know, knowing you know, firsthand, you know, we didn't experience what we were trying to solve for our target, like for our audience, for our customers, for our users. We went there and we were too remote and we spend a lot of time educating ourselves and learning about a space where we were trying to disrupt and unlock value. And I think what I personally took from that experience, there's a lot of things I took, but if there's one thing that I can give advice to anyone is like my yeah, and again, completely opinionated, completely my own personal belief. I really genuinely think that the most exciting teams and companies are solving problems. They have very close and intimate familiarity because that gives you like a superpower that, that makes you extremely devoted and passionate and have like really uh, internal knowledge into what is not working and how you should approach it and what's important and what's not like it helps you make compromises and trade-offs and think clearly about the problem i know it's not such a helpful advice maybe but it's like it's i learned the hard way that you can be part of the most amazing team and spend two years building the wrong thing and that hurts right so yeah i think yeah i, I think that's actually really good advice I think the other thing too, just listening to like our, through our conversation is you found a problem while working a day job that you applied into doing a startup that's completely unrelated, right? Yeah, I, I, I basically found a problem that I couldn't let go of. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, like, I couldn't. <laughs> I, I felt like this has to be solved. <laughs> no. So I, I'm curious then. Did you bootstrap the company? Did you raise some money? Walk us through that for stake. So I'm going into a little bit of a personal story here. So what sure. happened was I, I always knew after the first startup that crashed and burned, I always knew that I want to come back as, you know, as the founder this time and kind of try to reflect from what I've learned. Sure. And, and, and I, I always was waiting to learn something, right? Like for me, you know, building at Signify, building at New York, it was all about learning. It was all about finding an interesting problem to solve. And it felt to me like, this is a problem I'm willing to spend my life solving. I know it sounds like a little bit dramatic, but it's like, it's like I'm, I really want to solve this thing. 
and basically and basically what happened i i I immediately knew that before anything else before funding before mvp before prototype before everything uh i really want to join forces with somebody that it's like it's like a wedding like someone i want to spend my life building with and so i mean i really wanted the time to partner with anten but it wasn't a good timing so I find myself just, you know, you know, I had my first child at the time and I said, okay, I'm going to take some time off. It was end of COVID anyway. I'm going to take some time off and try to research and do this thing right. And basically I was unemployed and I started to do a lot of research, a lot of research, talking to anyone that was willing to, you know, have a chat, a Zoom conversation with me, CPOs, product executives, you know, R&D executive designers anyone that's ever had something to do with building pricing for their company. And I just wanted to hear out what's, what's not working. And every chat I had, we, I was just more and more convinced this is, this is not working. <laughs> like Fair enough. there's a huge problem there. And uh, I, my, this is where it, can, it becomes personal. So my, my spouse, Anna, she was like, Hey, <laughs> you gotta find a job sometimes. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's either you're jumping into this wagon and you know you're building this company, you're like, oh, you know, find <laughs> find a real day job. And you know, uh, it was it was a, a funny conversation, but it was a good conversation because kind of like the tap in the back that I needed to you know pursue this opportunity. And call it luck or not, Anton was uh, like some change in in his life and his setup. Uh, uh, basically. Um, you know, allowed us to recon, you know, rejoin forces and start working on this problem together. And when we started, we had nothing. It's not really bootstrap, but it's like we had nothing uh, right. besides, you know, the problem and the fact that we want to solve it. Um, we started to build some, you know, mocks and some prototypes. We started to show it to some uh, folks. We started to even get some, um, you know, potential design partners that want to give it a try when it's ready. Sure. And yeah, and we ended up raising, you know, based on that, you know, caliber of like a bunch of really interesting companies that want to work with us to build this thing. Um, uh, and then we raised our seed round then, you know, you know, a lot of water under the bridge <laughs> since that moment on. <laughs> no, it's great, man. So I'm curious, how do you monetize Stig? Awesome question. Uh, so we use Stig for Stig. Uh, we actually dog food our software. Um, uh, Stig, yeah. Smart. So, so, so we use Stig. So if you go to our website, actually, you will see the actual React SDK, like Stig's React SDK, like in our pricing page. And we iterate and we try different things from time to time. And um, Right now, the way our our uh, way to look at our own pricing is that we have two. We call it's like in pricing world, it's called value metrics. Value metrics is, is the variable that you monetize on. Uh, you know, seats, uh, storage, bandwidth. You know, there's a bunch of ways to basically look at value metrics. So for Stig, we have two value metrics. One is seats, and the other is active subscriptions, or like basically paying customers of our customers. Uh, so that means that we will charge you for you know uh like a like an, a summary of you know the number of members you want to have inside stig as as a company and the number of active subscriptions that um uh that basically you have managed under stig and the main i think the main motivation there is like we always say inside stig that our north star is to help our customers 
to see more growth and like basically turn more free or trial customers into pay, you know happy paying buyers and the way to do that is like hey we you know we want to be part of the you know the you know value being unlocked right like the more we are better at helping you convert um free um or trial non-paying users basically into buyers uh you are happier and so should should we be so it's like tying your faith with us is like a growth alliance that you have between stig and your company very cool um tell us more about or tell us about code to cash <laughs> so um code to cash is like a really uh it's funny we launched it last week so code to cash is a project that i've started together with ajit guman so ajit is a, a one of the best pricing experts that I have, I was fortunate to meet. Awesome. Um, we we actually met online over a LinkedIn post. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I read this book and I, I, I used to be a fan and now we are friends. Um, and so um, uh, we've this you know we we after we've met over this LinkedIn post, we realized we are passionate about the same things and we have the same insights into the SaaS monetization space. Um, from different angles, Ajit is like looking at things from strategy and you know quote to cash and you know deal flow and how to build the right uh, vehicles to you know have a, an appropriate pricing strategy in place. Um, and I'm looking more into the implementation things, right? Like all things pricing implementation, being able to build the right way to launch pricing. And so we said, hey, why don't we host? You know, experts, us executives from all you know all around the globe to talk about how they basically what was their journey uh, with pricing, right? Like what was hard, what was easy, you know, uh, how did they basically, you know, what what are interesting stories around their pricing and strategy? So this is like a podcast that we're doing. Uh, we already recorded um, like dozens of episodes now, and we are launching them one by one. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really enjoy that. I didn't think that I will be great at, um, talking into this type of, uh, uh, shows, but what was, uh, what was, what is fun about code to cash is I don't need to talk much because there's, there's a lot of really awesome, you know, people coming in and, you know, sharing their story and I get to ask the questions. So that's, uh, I get to be you, Kevin, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome, man. That's, that's great. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, but is there any other advice or things you've learned along the way that you would like to pass on to listener? Um, sure. So I think um, founders are being given and builders are being given a lot the advice of, you know, don't care about monetization, care about adoption. Uh, it used to be a very true before the downturn. Now it's a little bit changing, but um, when we lived in a world of like growth at all costs, people always talk, talked about adoption, like monetization comes later. And I think it made founders and builders kind of like be reluctant to talk with customers about pricing or try different things or even try to test some hypothesis around pricing and also builders and founders always look at pricing from the lenses of like okay so we've built this tech software thing now how do we price this thing um you know reverse engineer pricing in a way my advice would be hey actually it's one it's never too early to think about your pricing um and ask the right questions your customers uh, the second thing is never be afraid to talk 
face value, like talk to your customers about pricing and how they think about it, not you. Like when they ask you about pricing, it's an amazing opportunity to see how they think about your pricing and what they perceive as value. And there's really cheap ways to understand if you got your pricing wrong or not. That doesn't require a lot of research. Like obviously the best perfect way is to do a lot of research, uh, quant and qual, but you can also do with a couple of few conversations with, you know, representative customers learn a lot about how your customers think about your pricing. So um, my advice would be, it's never too early to talk about pricing. Um, especially nowadays, uh, revenue efficiency matters. And so your ability to quickly understand value perception and monetize appropriately can be the thing that will, you know, determine the fate or the future of your company. And being nimble wins the perfect pricing strategy. Like the ability to be speedy in introducing changes and trying different things is actually more important than nailing the right strategy. Um, that would be my advice. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. But sadly, we're out of time. So how about we close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Stig, the podcast, and anything else you want to mention? So, yeah, uh, Google Stig.io or, you know, feel free to reach out over LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm pretty responsive um, or I'm trying to be as responsive as I can. And, yeah, and ha happy, you know, happy to, you know, have a conversation any day about pricing, see how we can help regardless to stig um yeah uh excited to be connecting with builders everywhere and it's stig with two g's like s-t-i-g-g dot i-o exactly perfect Dorwell. i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and i look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day man thank you kevin thanks for having me thank you okay bye thanks for listening please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community Sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.